As we stand together, let's pray. Father, we pray now that by your spirit you would turn our eyes upon Jesus, that we would look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, time and time again, when we read through the Gospels, we notice something very interesting about ourselves. We see this in the questions people ask Jesus. We see this in the traps they try to lay for him. And we see it in the heart behind those questions and in the heart behind those traps. It would appear the Gospels show us that we have a hard time not going back into bondage, that we have a hard time not going back into prison, that even though God has come in Christ to bring liberty to the captives, we often prefer captivity. Now this trait, this trait of our human nature, our sinful nature, that causes us all to want to stubbornly return to and prefer bondage can be summed up in one word according to the Bible, and it's this, foolishness. It's foolishness. But the good news is that persistent though we are to want to return to captivity and bondage and foolishness, God is more persistent still. And what the Gospels also show us time and time again is that Jesus is persistently and continually pursuing his people to set them free. Jesus comes to set us free from death. Jesus comes to set us free from sin, from bondage. And this morning we'll see in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, that Jesus comes to set us free from foolishness. Our text from Luke follows a similar pattern. You'll recognize this pattern by now. It follows a similar pattern as other weeks. First, there's a question, and the question is a bit of a setup, the question is a bit of a trap, and the questioner reveals in his question that he doesn't really understand Jesus. Second, Jesus answers the question, but he answers it in the way he wants to answer it because he's Jesus, and he's brilliant, and he can do this sort of thing. And the third part of the pattern is that Jesus tells a parable. Jesus tells a parable in order to go deep to get right at the heart of the matter and to turn everything right side up. And this morning, Jesus tells us the parable of the rich fool. I bet you're thinking to yourself, well, this is going to be an uplifting message. (laughs) God longs to set his people free. This is a thread that we can trace throughout the whole Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, that God sees his people's preference For prison, and in his grace, he extends his hand time after time to break us out of that prison. We see it over and over again in scripture on a macro level, and even this morning in our text on a micro level. So one thing for us to bear in mind when we look at stories like this from Luke or from any of the Gospels. This morning, for example, the man who's going to ask Jesus a question, he's a stand-in for us. The rich man in the parable that Jesus will tell, he's also a stand-in for us. These men illustrate for us all 
the bondage that we all know all too well, the bondage of foolishness. And it's not a cute kind of foolishness. It's not sort of a, you know, an aloof kind of foolishness that doesn't, just doesn't quite get it. No, it's a, it's a deadly foolishness. It's a tragic foolishness because it absolutely misses Jesus. And this morning it misses Jesus because it's fixated on worldly wealth. But Jesus shows us the heart of God who comes to set us free from this foolishness. So here comes in our text, Luke chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 13, the first hallmark of foolishness. We all know all too well in these verses, which is a pursuit of our own interests. A pursuit of our own interests. Look with me at verse 13. We'll see the question, the setup, the trap. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, quote, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So let's stop right there. Because this foolish question is loaded with, you guessed it, foolishness. <laughs> Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. The questioner is simply concerned with his own interests. Here's how we know this. First, he tells Jesus what to do. You see that? He tells Jesus what to say. He tells Jesus what to decide. Do you ever do that with God? Do you ever go to God and say, God... Do this thing at this time, in this way, for this reason. Thank you very much. Amen. It sounds kind of silly to put it this way, but it's what we do fairly often in our foolishness. And that's what the man does here. He tells Jesus what to do. And he doesn't tell Jesus, interestingly, he doesn't tell Jesus to decide fairly. He simply tells Jesus to decide in his favor. We don't know the details of the man's dispute, but we can gather from Jewish tradition that these two brothers had lost a father and there was a dispute about how to divide the inheritance. And this man appeals to Jesus not on the merits of the case, but just decide it, Jesus, in my own favor. That's what you got to do, Jesus. He's concerned with his own interests. And then he tells Jesus what to do, tells him to decide in his own favor. So two major strikes against this guy, the questioner. But the third strike against him, the worst one of all, is that he comes to Jesus not for who Jesus is, but for what Jesus can do for him. And Jesus calls him out on it. Verse 14, Jesus said to the man, man, and that word right there means really stranger. Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? What a response from Jesus. He points out the incredible irony here. Who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Rough paraphrase here of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, dude, do you have any idea who in the world you're talking to? Jesus is saying, if you want to talk to me, we can talk, all right. If you want me to be judge and arbitrator over you, I can be judge and arbitrator over you, but is that really what you want? Or am I just some sort of divine Judge Judy or something? <laughs> Jesus pivots now in verse 15. And what Jesus does here in this verse is he makes clear to us that what he just said and what he's about to say is really, really important. Jesus is not interested in giving out life advice. Jesus is interested in giving out life itself. And he said to them, take care, be on your guard 
against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Notice the urgency with which Jesus speaks here. Take care, he says. Be on your guard. Jesus wasn't like, and he isn't like any other teacher. This is God speaking. And so, with urgency, as God, with authority, we're told in the first half of verse 16 here, he told them a parable. Now, just in case any of us are tempted to think that Jesus' parables are kind of like little stories, you know, in the vein of Mr. Rogers or something, that would be to miss the whole point of how Jesus intends to use parables. Jesus doesn't intend to use parables like cute little bedtime stories. Jesus intends to use parables like hammers, and he hammers home the gospel in the parable of the rich fool. This man experiences bountiful crops. He experiences such a large bountiful crop that his barns can't hold his bountiful crops. So he builds bigger barns to hold his bountiful crops. And then he sits back, enjoys a nice cold beverage of some sort, and thinks he can sort of check out and live the good life of wealthy retirement. So the first hallmark of foolishness was revealed by the questioner, and it was a pursuit of our own interests. Hallmarks two, three, and four come courtesy of our friend, the rich fool. And number two is this, it's a pursuit of our own counsel. It would be humorous here if it wasn't so sad how blatant this rich man is in pursuing his own counsel from himself to himself. One of the commentaries I read on this passage this week said that this parable could have also been called this, the man who talked with himself. (laughs) The man in the parable had a problem. It was a good problem. He had more crops than his barns could hold. And so what does he do? Verse 17 tells us he thought to himself, what shall I do? He thinks to himself. He consults himself. And what do you know? In verse 18, he answers himself, I will do this. And then he goes on and makes his plan by himself, consulting himself, advising himself on what he himself should do. And his self-counseling session is wonderful. It continues here in verse 19. This is the rich man speaking. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. Netflix and chill. Be merry. The parable of the rich fool. The man who talked with himself. At least none of us are like this guy. It's a comfortable thing, isn't it, to be your own counselor? Because you never disagree with yourself. And it's a dangerous thing to be your own counselor. Because you never disagree with yourself. And Jesus says that this is foolishness to pursue your own counsel. Just think of how many times in the Bible people get in trouble for doing what they themselves advise themselves to do. Often, often in sheer defiance of what God had said to do or what God said he would do, often because they doubted that God had the resources or the presence of mind to do what he said he would do. And the sad thing is we're really no different. We pursue our own counsel out of arrogance or doubt or self-centeredness or convenience, just like the rich fool. And we completely miss the voice of God until he finds a way to thunder it at us 
like he does here in verse 20. But God said to him, fool. Ouch. Feels like freedom to pursue our own counsel. But it's a prison. It feels prudent often to pursue our own counsel. But it's destructive. And Jesus makes it clear to us this morning in this parable that even though it seems wise to pursue our own counsel, it's foolishness. It's foolishness not to pay attention to him. I learned a really important lesson about not paying attention when I was 21 years old and I had flown down to Florida to visit some old youth group friends of mine. My youth pastor had loaned me his car to drive back to the airport to fly home. And as I was driving down the road, about to cross over the Hathaway Bridge, I was distracted by all the construction coming up, blinking lights, flashing arrows, cones, that I completely missed the red light at the intersection I was barreling through at 45 miles per hour. I totaled my youth pastor's car. I totaled three other cars. I fractured my wrist. I ruined a lot of people's day that day. The red light was there. The warnings were all there. The problem wasn't with the red light. The problem wasn't with the warnings. The problem was with me. I wasn't paying attention. And God says, pay attention to me. Pay attention to my red lights. And when you see one, stop. God says, pay attention to my green lights. And when you see one, go. God says, stop talking to yourself and start listening to me. So Jesus has warned us first about the foolishness of the pursuit of our own interests. And secondly, in this parable, the pursuit of our own counsel. And now, prizing our own possessions. The man's language here, his heart, his attitude towards his own possessions is striking. Notice with me how he frames everything here. It's interesting. Verse 17, I have nowhere to store my crops. Verse 18, I will tear down my barns. Again, same verse. I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19, I will say to my soul. One commentator, William Barclay, wrote about this. The rich man never saw beyond himself. There is no other parable so full of the words, I, me, my, and mine. They're his crops. They're his barns. They're his goods. It's his grain. It's his soul. It's my car. It's my house. It's my job. It's my savings. And Jesus says, uh, excuse me, whose is it? He said to the rich man here, who gave you the land upon which to plant your crops? Who gave you the rain to water your soil? Who gave you the sun to grow your crops? Who gave you all of it? And now whose is it? And to you and to me, who gave you your car? Who gave you your house, your money, your job, your savings? Who gave it to you again? God says in verse 21, foolish is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. God is interested in a direction change of our wealth. God is not saying that wealth is inherently bad or that being wise with wealth is bad. But God is saying that your wealth is not your wealth. 
God is saying that your possessions are not your possessions. They're his. And so to prize and praise and protect your possessions like they're your own little kingdom is foolishness. Jesus wants to turn the direction of our wealth through this parable right side up. That instead of our wealth being pointed toward us and our interests, our wealth, our treasure is pointed towards him and his interests. You ever see those people that are really, really into backpacking? And they have these backpacks that have their own water supply built into them. And they have a straw, like a really convenient little straw hanging over their shoulder. When they just want some water, they can draw from it whenever they need it. That's how we view often our wealth. It's mine. I protect it. And I draw from it when I need it. God says, actually, you're not a backpacker. You're a kayaker. And your entire life is spent floating along on the river of what I supply. And every drip of wealth that you take for yourself from that river was actually given to you by me. And when you don't see that, and when you spend your whole life floating along on what I supply and try to hoard it all for yourself, you reveal to God and to your neighbor that you're a fool. I told you it was an uplifting message this morning. (laughs) The man in this parable has it all. He has more than he needs, but he hoards it. And God says that that man and anyone like him is a rich fool. So what if our slogan this coming fall for our annual Turo Stewardship Campaign came from Luke chapter 12? You know, we could print out brochures and flyers and yard signs. We could put it in the Turo News. Don't be a rich fool. I think we'll go with something else this fall. I don't know. But we would be wise this fall, and any time we think about our financial resources, we would be wise to bear in mind this parable. Are we acting like the rich fool or not? So, so far, our gospel text has shown us these three hallmarks of the prison of foolishness. A pursuit of our own interests, pursuit of our own counsel, prizing our own possessions, and finally we see this morning... Hallmark of foolishness number four, a blindness to the light of eternity. For the Christian, the certainty of eternal life is not just some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. It is the light inside of the tunnel. Because the light of eternity is the light of Jesus himself. He is the light of eternity. And the rich man illustrates for us the foolishness of being blind to the light of eternity. This kind of foolishness gets its timing all wrong. Listen to him talking to himself again in verse 19. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for what? Many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night... Your soul is required of you. The man assumed he had years. God knew the man had hours. He had his timing all wrong. This kind of foolishness also gets its priorities all wrong. God says to the man at the end of verse 20 here, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The man assumed his things were for him. New Testament scholar Ken Bailey 
writes that this man was wealthy enough to build his own vacuum and to live inside of it. It's tragic. He had his timing wrong and he had his priorities wrong. He also had his perspective wrong. This happens when we don't live in the light of eternity, when we don't live in the light of Jesus. What happens is our things, our possessions, are meant to be reflections to us of a gracious God and therefore are meant to be reflected back to a gracious God. This is meant to be our perspective. We see what God gives us, but we see beyond what he gives us. We see God himself. The very first song I ever learned to play on the guitar was an old worship song. It summed it up well. It said, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. And nothing I desire compares with you. That's what it sounds like to live in light of eternity. It gives us perspective on how we view our silver and our gold and our diamonds. And the perspective is this. Lord, you are more precious. And the perspective is also this. I can't take any of this stuff with me. And because I can't take any of it with me when Jesus calls me home, then I should pray that the Spirit helps me grow more and more attached to Jesus every day and less and less attached to my stuff every day. There's an old hymn that I love. It's called The Sands of Time Are Sinking. I didn't grow up singing it, but when I heard it a few years ago, the last verse stopped me in my tracks, and it says this. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I shall not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not on the crown he gives me, but on his pierced hand. I love that. That the bride isn't looking down at her dress. She's looking at her bridegroom's face. We're not looking down at our stuff and our crops and our grain and our barns. We're looking at our king of grace. And we're not looking down at the thing he's given us. We're looking at his hands that are giving those things to us. We're not saying, oh, what wonderful stuff I have. We're saying, what a wonderful savior I have. That's freedom. That's freedom from foolishness. And that's how Jesus keeps setting us free. So the good news is when we want to turn back, which we will, and go back to captivity again, Jesus will come and set us free again by helping us see him again. And the good news is that when we want to turn back and go to our own interests and pursue our own counsel again, Jesus will come and get our attention again. And the good news is that even when we want to look away and look down at our possessions again, Jesus will come and delight us with himself again. That's how he keeps setting us free from foolishness. He will delight us now in this life, and he will delight us forever in the next. Amen? So let's pray and ask for his help because we need it. 
So Jesus, we thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness to constantly and persistently pursue us. Pray, Lord, that just like Peter, when we look down at ourselves, you would cause us to look up at you again. Set us free from foolishness, Lord. Set us free from the love of of worldly wealth or worldly wisdom. Set us on fire with love for you again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.